0: and I'm your host, Phil Coover of Shank, Annis, Tepper, Campbell. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast utilizing attorneys, finance, real estate professionals to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues and entertaining discussion. This podcast is a mixture of real estate business and law. Today, we're going to have our first architect come on the podcast. We have Andrew Coughlin, also known as Andy Coglin, who is the president of OKW Architects, and Andy is going to come on to discuss with us current trends in the real estate market and the services that an architectural firm provides like OKW. I found this conversation to be extremely interesting. The the depth and the, the range of services that a company like OKW provides is truly amazing. They have interior designers, they have architects, they have landscape architects, they have urban planners, they have all sorts of professionals that really can help take an idea and transform it into the actual product. And they help get everything approved by the city, and they'll actually get this uh, vision and they have the technical skills and the wherewithal to help put it into action and, and make the project a reality. Andy is a graduate of the University of Illinois and Yale University. He serves as a member of the Yale Alumni Schools Committee. He's a frequent, participate in student design reviews at the University of Illinois Graduate School. Andy is the, uh, the president of OKW, and uh, Andy is very well known in the community and has worked with all sorts of developers, tenants, um, municipalities, and he's just a, an excellent person to talk to. He's very generous with his ideas and generous with his knowledge, and so we thought it would be great if you would come on to tell us a little bit about how he partners with clients to work on their various projects. Before we get into the interview, I want to just want to thank all of our listeners for keeping it up over the summer. Please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And if you're interested in a particular, particular topic or you want to get in touch with us, feel free to email us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com. You can also send me a, an email to pcoover at satcltd.com or visit our website realestatebreakfast.com. We should also mention this podcast is produced by SATC Solutions Center, L3C, which is the Education and Development Division of the law firm Shank, Annis, Tepper, Campbell. I'm an attorney and principal with that firm. The firm, Shank, Annis, Tepper, Campbell, partners with clients to pr- provide commercial real estate, business, estate planning, litigation, and insurance law guidance to grow their business and protect their assets. Coming up next, Andy Coughlin of OKW Architects. Enjoy the interview. morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host Philip Coover, and I'm here today with Andy Coglin, who is the president of OKW Architects. Andy, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Phil. Andy, you're our first architect, and uh, OKW is a, a brand name in the business, it's been in the Chicago real estate market for many, many years. And really excited to have you on today to talk about some of the current projects and some of the current trends that you're working on. Your your firm is. We do a lot of retail discussion here on on our Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, just because of some of the the guests that we've had. But why don't you tell us about some of the retail and mixed use development trends that you're seeing, and some of the projects that you're working on? Sure, Phil.
1: The um, I think that the, the 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 most common conversation today in retail is about the, what's happening with bricks and mortar and and uh, the, the impact of, of e-commerce on retail, and it's certainly having a fairly dramatic impact. But what we're seeing is a lot of new opportunities because there's a there's an economic imperative for the development community, property owners to to maintain value or create new value out of property. So. Um, there's kind of multiple tiers to this within the city and suburbs of Chicago and actually, you know, across the country, but the um, we're seeing whereas we're not doing as much ground up kind of suburban development, traditional shopping centers all outside of perhaps some grocery anchored work, which has slowed a bit, um, there's more redevelopment projects. so. Folks that either are purchasing value-added properties are looking at creative ways to reinvent those, and property owners that have assets that are declining or have lost major tenants are looking at ways to reinvent those properties with alternative uses, with thinking outside the world of retail, whether it's for entertainment restaurants, whether it's office use, medical, just value or multifamily, for that matter, um, looking at ways to create value, create density um, on properties that uh, are seeing a d- decline in the traditional retail.
0: So, are you seeing uh, an increase in the urban infill uh, approach? And tell us a little bit about what infill means.
1: Infill. The um, we're, we're, we've been working with a client of ours, L3 and uh, for probably the last four years. And for them, um, they're a great example of infill. They've gradually purchased building by building um, across Southport, North Southport, and along Lincoln Avenue and Lincoln Square. And over the course of the last four years, we've, we've either redeveloped or demolished and repurposed properties and added tenants such as Amazon, Bear Burger, uh Reverb, um, a number of others uh, to this to to this street front where was where they're all typically 30 to 50 foot wide properties, um, adding uh, these small card junior box soft goods, and then some service guys, Orange Theory, um, folks who might take second floor space. Um, serve more service or health-related tenants occupying second-floor space. So soft goods and other kind of retailers on the first floor and al- some alternative uses taking second-floor space. And that's been a fairly common pattern with the work we're doing with L3 and a number of our other retail development clients. So it's, it's not a whole block of redevelopment. It's kind of it's isolated, it's strategic, and it's very
0: tenant-specific. Yeah, I used to live in Lincoln Square, and so I've seen some of those places where the buildings would be knocked down in the middle of, uh, right on Lincoln, and then you develop a new building, new storefront, a new building right in the middle of a line of buildings, but one question I had for you, is: so you have somebody like Amazon coming to Southport, and you have an existing vacant space. I would imagine that the landlord and the developer of that property, so they come, Tell us a little bit about the process. So they come to you and they say, uh, we have this tenant coming in. It's a unique tenant, uh, probably. I'm imagining that they have some some specifics in mind as to what they want their store to look like. So you probably have to work with the the owner slash developer and the tenant to figure out a look and a feel that's both Uh, practical as well as it looks the way that the tenant and the landlord want it to look I mean that's got to be hard to satisfy all those we've always viewed retail retail is unique from
1: other markets we serve because we've always viewed we view retail while our principal client is the one paying the bills which is usually the developer but we really have a second set of clients which are the retailers themselves so we're having to balance that um, the, both the relationship and our responsibility to serve the development client, but also um, are obligated to to at least keep a weather eye to a design aesthetic that a tenant wants. Some tenants have very strong um, brands that they need to that they want to duplicate. Um, the best example of that would be a Ross store. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you've seen uh, plentiful developed in and around Chicago over the last few years, and of which we've done four or five. Um, but many of them, many of those tenants really just have a trade dress that is fairly simple. It might be nothing more than their, than their uh, identity, and we're allowed pretty much unfettered uh, uh, design effort to, to create something In concert with our client, that we think is appropriate for the block and and what our client is looking to do, so it kind of it varies from tenant to tenant quite a bit.
0: Yeah, so one thing I noticed is you just said that also uh, works with the block. So when you're working on something like the Southport corridor, you probably have to pay pretty close attention to uh, just making sure that it looks. Right on that block, or that it fits in, or that it stands Absolutely. out depending on what you want.
1: We're, we're planners, we're, we're urbanists, or we're as architects, we're always there's always many, many influences in the work we do. So, and the, the unlike often doing a suburban shopping center uh, in in urban infill, it's very important to be responsive to the to surroundings. It doesn't mean that we're trying to mimic traditional building because we've done some very contemporary buildings sitting in an otherwise fairly traditional block but um, it's being aware of proportion and scale and and the massing of the of the building relative to its neighbors that remains appropriate
0: one of the so you guys worked on new city right yes that that Project is just remarkable to me. That five years ago, if you were to go down north in Clyburn, and there's that entire corner area that was just uh, vacant or completely underutilized right off Halstead, and it's now just a remarkable development. And I also just love what you guys did with design within reach. I was yeah. looking at your website to get ready for this interview, and as I go down the uh, the brown line. When I was in, Lincoln, used to live in Lincoln Square. I used to always notice that design within reach because that Borders was such an eyesore, right off that place. after it, the Borders went through bankruptcy and closed down, that design within reach facade just looks so nice there.
1: It's a really clean. It's a very clean building, and it has a much better response to the Creighton Barrel, to the Apple. It, it, it sort of. Uh, helps to kind of triangulate kind of an architectural direction there on that corner. Right. Um, But New City was 10 years of work. We began that in 2006, back during obviously the boom time, um, and it had a couple hundred thousand square feet of retail and and three condominium towers. Um, As the condominium business market started to slow, our client structure development, who were phenomenal people, folks um, um, kind of reevaluated the plan, we sort of shifted the priorities in terms of the program, the retail started to grow, the amount of uh, residential shrunk, and um, and then 2008 and 2009, Lehman Brothers and all that good stuff that right. happened, and the project went dormant, uh, the property was revalued, structure where uh, Mike Drew and his partners were um, just amazingly tenacious to keep... Um, a hand in that through all of this, um, uh, put back together a new equity team and, and basically repurchased the property, and we went back uh, um, full force in 2012 with a new program. Ultimately, it's about 350,000 square feet of retail and entertainment and one apartment tower with uh, just shy of 200 apartments in it. And you know the the intent with that was to create a large common, create a public space, kind of a focal point for what is otherwise not a, a area that feels so much like a neighborhood, but as kind of more residential is gradually creeping in south of North Avenue to to have this sort of uh,
0: focal point and and create a center to the neighborhood. Yeah, well, it's a remarkable project. So. When you take on a project of that magnitude, and this sort of ties into uh, your team and the OKW team, is you must have, and I know because I've been looking at your website, but you must have all sorts, you're not just architects, you're urban planners, you're interior designers, you're landscape architects. You have uh, probably design professionals, just all sorts of people on staff. It's it's really... uh, quite a broad array of services that you're providing.
1: We've always kept, the, the the roots of our firm were two separate firms that came together in 1999, um, bringing together a couple different areas of expertise and with kind of the three places we primarily serve were obviously just architecture, being a firm principally of architects and architecturally trained folks, corporate interiors and what we would call workplace design now, and, and landscape architecture and land planning. So those are the three kind of key components of the firm. And those, are, those remain the, the, the focus for the firm. And it, it allows us, um, uh, we're very facile, and because we're living in a very entrepreneurial business world in real estate, it allows us, we have wonderful folks who respond very quickly to clients' needs. We can test feasibility of sites project opportunities quickly. They can make go-no-go decisions. Um, and we also have a, basically a lifetime, a career's worth of experience doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of projects. So we've seen more than most of our clients have seen because they can only do so many projects at a time, but we've got you know, constantly dozens and dozens of, of projects happening around the Midwest and other places across the country.
0: How many projects do you pitch that don't work out? Where somebody comes, you say, "Hey, I'm looking at this site. This is kind of what I want to do this is my mind, but I, I need to know <laughs> if this will work." I'm just curious, like how many, how what kind of percentages we're talking about that you you create a plan or a general outline?
1: My guess it's probably one out of four projects, one out of four studies become an actual project. It's right. Probably realistic. Yeah. It, it ebbs and flows like so many things in this business.
0: Do people ever come back three years later and say, you know, that project we talked about three years ago? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, or the price ca- actually, went down.
1: Or it's a it, it dies with one developer and comes back with another. Right. So some it doesn't work economically under one developer's business model, but it does for somebody else.
0: How. Specific are some of these developers when they come to you. Do are do some come with a real idea of what they want the buildings to look like, how they want to function, or do they come with just sort of a vague idea of I want to put in mixed use, some retail on the bottom. You know what kind of uh, plans do you th- what kind of directions do we can see? Can
1: uh, we that go varies again <clears throat> pretty dramatically from client to client. In the in the best world. No, no different than a, a, a client coming to you and hiring you for your expertise. We're at our best when we're a partner with our client in the in the development of a program, in them extracting our expertise um, and allowing us to do what we do best. Um, in circumstances where we're fed, and there's an expectation of doing it exactly one way. It, it, it can be a challenge because it may not be the best solution to a to, to a site. What's important in mixed use is the program, and that, that we do require good input from the client, because if it's a some combination of retail uh, and residential, which is the most common mixed use certainly in the city, the nature of the residential, the, the scale of retail, what type of tenants they're catering to, um, what the footprint sizes are—is this a is small service tenants? Is it is it junior boxes? Is there food service that we need black iron? And then on the residential side, the program for the unit mix and the scale of the units um, is important, so we can start to to program and plan the kind of develop the diagram for the site. Parking, of course, is always a piece of this as well.
0: Right, and speaking of parking and and sort of the details of the plans, do you also go to the local municipalities to get the approvals to do these sorts of projects?
1: Yes, we're typically the ones making the presentations with our client. We always serve, to the extent we can, we'll serve as the advocate for a project with the municipalities and we're fortunate is that we have a very good reputation with the towns we've served. because in our view the, yeah, the yeah, projects are successful when they've been successful for the developer, for ourselves, and for the community. And as a result, most of the places uh, we visit, um, we can step into their offices, most communities, with, uh, where they um, respect the work we do. Um, there's, a, there's a positive vibe from the beginning. It doesn't make communities necessarily easy to deal with, but at least it starts out kind of a, we eliminate one barrier of entry in the towns we work. Chicago's a little different because it's much more kind of politically driven, and 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 the alderman carries the ultimate authority over zoning. So that is a little bit different process. While the Department of Planning is intimately involved with the, with what you're ultimately trying to execute. Um, Getting the support of the aldermen, as you know, is critical to to seeing a project
0: actually yeah. succeed. Yeah, critical might even be an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So essential. As the only, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've, well, I'm listening to you talk. I was just, I always think about developers because we've had several come on the podcast, and they're they're visionaries, and they have ideas of how they're going to pull things together, and they have a remarkable job of trying to coordinate the, uh, the resources to get to get the project going and coordinate the contractors and to develop the project but uh, but I always wondered how they also have the technical skills to see how the project is going to go and now, now I'm figuring out all the answers to all my questions as to how they get these developments off the ground is that they hire a good architecture team because uh, it's incredible the amount of technical knowledge that you all have to bring because you're you have to have knowledge of all the local building code requirements. You have to have knowledge of all the federal code requirements. You're going to the municipalities to get approval. You have to build the building in a way that won't fall apart either immediately over or within 10 years, and you're doing it all with uh, trying to make the the owner and the tenant uh, pleased with the aesthetics of it as well as how it practically uh, Will work for them, and I'll yeah, work and be, for their business. Be profitable
1: for them. Besides, yeah, Is I mean,
0: it, yeah. unbelievable amount of uh, skills that that's going to be required um, for projects that are complex.
1: The, it's very important that we build a team with the client, including uh, the engineering team, the civil engineer, critical part of it, um, the contractor. When when we can, we try to bring a, client, a contractor in, into the project team early, so that there's somebody vetting costs even off of conceptual drawings can start to vet uh, what something what projects are going to cost. So we're looking at tricky structural systems. If there's a uh, unique underground issues, if uh, if uh, we're trying to push densities and and we're into more complex structural systems all these things need to be vetted early uh, which helps just provide better information for our clients to uh,
0: determine direction for projects in in speaking of direction um, one of the things that we've talked about is the changes in the retail development and one thing that you mentioned was creating a trying to create a competitive advantage or a compelling story. Can you tell us what you mean by that? The, the competition amongst the
1: the development community for properties for making them successful properties is enormous and for the retailers to be successful. So, um, I think that the, the the best example of a great narrative that totally kind of violated the, the rules of Retail design is the Restoration Hardware, um, right? Up on is uh, uh, it North Dearborn in the old Three Arts building? Um, they were actually in a project we originally designed at North and Sheffield, and they consolidated a number of their stores to to build out that Three Arts building. And what they created was a destination that is a that is an experience for customers and and. A couple times I've been there, it's um, it's packed. There's no parking. It's valet only, so it violates that. It's in a residential neighborhood, not near uh, a part of a larger retail area. Right. Um, and it's wildly successful because they've created this, this experience in, inside that store that's unique to anything else in the market, certainly any other furniture store. And we're seeing that with shopping centers even smaller shopping centers is what's the compelling story of that place what can we do to bring customers what's the relationship between hospitality and entertainment and and kind of traditional soft goods retailers that just creates traffic that that uh, offers an ambiance that's different than somebody else down the block that just creates a story that is a reason to drive traffic to the to the location, um, whether it's so. There's retailers that are doing this internally, and for us, working with mostly developers, is what's the compelling story about the property if it's a multi-tenant development that's going to bring customers to that site. Um, so it's 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 a number of factors and little things like just creating. I think the influence of architecture has been a positive thing and. And retail, and there was a period of time when the retailers really didn't care, but I think they found that that hardscape, landscape, building, architecture, how a building inside and out is illuminated, has an impact on on how it's perceived, what kind of traffic uh, uh, it brings as a result, uh, has all it's, it's been meaningful over the, the last ten or
0: fifteen years. Yeah, are there studies or where do you find data to try to guide you in, in making decisions about how to create a project that will be more attractive for customers?
1: Actually, the ICSE does a nice job with uh, some case studies and kind of ongoing continuing ad just through their, their, their magazine, through um, kind of learning opportunities at the conventions just to offer case studies and see there's some hard data and then there's just empirical data that just sees you to start to see what's working what's not um, and then in some of it's just um, experience in some cases it's it's developers just creative thinkers uh, try something kind of risk-taking to give it a try and see what happens how it works out
0: yeah, I happened to stumble into the ICSC presentation for the awards they give to the for various shopping centers. Some of the best shopping center, the most innovative shopping center, mm-hmm. and you see some really cool, really interesting things that uh, Canada and Netherlands and and in the United States too. But there's some amazing uh, shopping centers that are being built right now. Yes, there are. Um, I noticed on your website that you, you, you guys have many, many projects, and you've only chosen a few for right now to put on your website. But I noticed you put the J Crew and the Soul Cycle project together. And out of the various projects that you have, I thought it was interesting that you chose to, to feature that one on the website. But here you have you have a retail on the first floor, and then you have the Soul Cycle where you're getting people uh, moving in and out. Um, you want to tell us about that project?
1: Well, that again is back to the, the one of the infill projects that we're doing with L3, and it it's probably we just I think we put it on there as much as anything because we think the building's really attractive, and ultimately we're we're architects and we like good-looking stuff. We want to show off the buildings that um, are look are successful architecturally, and and that's one of them. But it's also kind of part of that story of what's happening with infill infill properties throughout the city and, and other places that we're working right now, where we're stacking. They're fairly modest buildings, but we're stacking different uses. You're not getting traditional retail on the second floor. You're getting uses like Soul SoulCycle um, to take that second floor space. It's kind of destination space. Um, we're working on a project in Florida very similar in Coconut Grove that is has a similar stacking of retail uses. Traditional soft goods downstairs and, and uh,
0: kind of service uses on the second floor. And then do you approach uh, larger projects like your uptown Park Ridge project? Or did you guys work on the LaGrange project? Yes,
1: yeah, a long time ago. It was one of the very, very early downtown redevelopment projects.
0: At kind bring of the that start up. of that, yeah. Because I live in Riverside and I <laughs> love going out there. It's very it looks great. It's different than a lot of the other towns. It has a unique look to it. It flows from building to building. It's cohesive in its look. And I know you're doing the Uptown Park Ridge project. Uh, so, is there any different way that you approach those larger projects than some of the individual infill projects? Uh, Uptown Park
1: Ridge was, which was done actually um about ten years ago now, was. Um, complex because there was a great deal of topography for the, on the site. There was about a 12-foot grade change from the high point to the low point on the property. There was a, a lot of program to park on the site in terms of there's about 80,000 feet of retail and 200 housing units, mostly condos. And um, and we had to find a way to squeeze in two levels of underground parking. Um, it was... and all this was done with the city as a partner in it, because it was uh, the first time the city had—well, second TIF, the city had ever undertaken—and the first downtown TIF they had they had uh, executed. And so they were very much of a, a partner in the process and in design decisions and and hardscape and landscape. And I don't think we approached any differently than we would. Any other more complicated or complex project, but um, but the the added um, responsibility to the community uh, adds a layer of design into the project that we might not have found in in a more straightforward design and entitlement process.
0: So I have a couple more fun questions for you. All right. All right. So. You're an architect, of course. Uh, what is your favorite building in the city of Chicago?
1: Um, the commercial building, my favorite building, is the Inland Steel. I still think uh, it's the purest floor plate, the most beautifully executed, detailed building. Um, and it's, um, my goodness, it's 65, 70 years, you know, 65 years old now, something like that. It's built
0: in the early 50s and it's still a fantastic building. Do you have a a favorite project that you've worked on? Um, I
1: would say the um, the, of the commercial work New City it was really satisfying because not so much because of the scale of it but um, there was a lot of emotion attached to the what what was a uh, was a really challenging process because of what happened in uh, the economic collapse in 2009, and and the entire team on that project sticking together um, through 10 years of work. And it was a credit to the developer, it was a credit to Power Construction who built it, and to our consultant team who uh, executed the drawings that uh, there was something really satisfying about that. And I'm really happy with, uh, with uh, Outcome with uh, the project as a as a large-scale urban infill project. I think Park Ridge is meaningful for me because I, it's my home. It's where sure. I raise my kids, and um, we've won multiple awards, uh, urban planning, um, and and um, energy you know, lead-related um, awards for that for that project and um, it was a catalyst we promised it would be a catalyst for for new development and kind of a new energy in the downtown of park ridge and it's and it's all come to fruition so that's really
0: pretty satisfying as well what is your your greatest challenge it it could either be with a particular project or just a challenge that you have on any given project uh i mean i know you mentioned that having a a big grade change is hard, but uh, what's what's your most challenging?
1: The in, in this, I don't know if what the what the greatest challenge is. Um, I think it really is an issue of density. Is when we're looking at trying to we're looking at a few projects where trying to stack multiple use types, where you're adding hospitality and retail. Um, uh, multifamily office, all stacking these things vertically. It gets very complex in terms of the structural requirements are very different between these. Um, but there, those are all things that are very solvable. Um, right. I don't think there's a problem that there's... Every, matter of fact, we kind of enjoy the challenge. I can't think of anything right off hand that's ever been that we viewed as insurmountable or something that wasn't solvable. Um and I think the biggest challenge ultimately is managing it within the client's budget, what they can realistically afford to do. And the biggest challenge, and that's one of the biggest challenges with building right now is that we're in a, you know pretty much of a boom. Construction costs are very expensive. and it's um, it's trying to manage the cost of doing good architecture. Solving a client's you know, needs for a site and making it and being able to make it all work affordably for them so that it works in their pro forma it's this is a for profit business
0: yeah no that that makes total sense. We have similar yeah. issues here, although I'd say my biggest challenge is the legal system sometimes <laughs> just trying to move things through the courts um It's a good system. I'm not knocking it, but it has its frustrations. Uh, so Cubs and Red Sox, how is that? You, you big because I, I grew fan? up.
1: I grew up in Evanston. Was a you know, red line rider from the time I was in middle school to go down to Cubs games and sit in the bleachers and the Red Sox because I always viewed them as uh, kind of another hard luck team. Although they 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 they, 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 they turned that around. broke the cycle yeah. sooner than the Cubs did, and they're also a team that. Um, beats the sock, the white socks. So there's two reasons I like Boston.
0: That's fair. Um, I know that you've you've gone down f- with Habitat for Humanity to Louisiana several times to rebuild yes. in Louisiana after, post-Katrina. Mm-hmm. I am also a big fan of Louisiana and New Orleans. I've been seven times. Uh, what's your favorite meal when you go down there?
1: Uh, Jambalaya. I yeah. love jambalaya. Yeah, the, anything go. seafood, frankly, is fantastic. The, um, but if you go to the French Quarter, I don't know if I remember the meals
0: that well. Cause <laughs> it's not the best place to get food. I remember drinking you, more than I, yeah. yeah. I, you go business district for the food. <laughs> um, but also, speaking of uh, charitable endeavors, we're recording this in early August. I think starting tomorrow or very soon. You, OKW uh, also participates in the can construction project.
1: It's happening tonight. The tonight build is, is, is the build. Yeah, the build okay. is tonight. Your timing is very good. So we've got a team of. Uh, I think there's about ten folks from our office along with uh, uh, W. O'Neill. And I cannot recall our other partners on it um, to do the build. They only let a certain number in actually to do the construction at a time. I think it's six, four to six. So they kind of rotate in, our, the, the folks there to help build the, uh, uh, the display, the sculpture, the can sculpture. Um, but it's been a, we've been involved with construction. Uh, our former marketing director actually ran it. For a couple years was the host and and kind of moderator of the evening for a number of years and so it's been a kind of near and dear to our hearts to do the construction and it it raises a lot of money and a lot of a lot of food for for the food depository
0: right right yeah i was reading the uh, the greater chicago food depository it's one of their if not the biggest uh, fundraiser drive that they do each year and so all these architects and uh, builders like OKW uh, will put together these sculptures. It's in the merchandise mart, right?
1: It's all held in the mart, so they close it down for tonight. The build happens overnight, so I'll have a lot of red-eyed staff tomorrow. And uh, usually they're done by 2 o'clock in the morning or so. and, uh, and, And then they're on display, then they have a party which is later in the month to uh, to celebrate and hand out awards.
0: Yeah, I saw that you're Billy a Big Burger fries and drink combo. It's Portillos. Yes, right. it's
1: a Portillos theme. This
0: How year. big is it?
1: Um I think it'll ultimately be about eight feet high, the nice. uh, the fries and the hot well the hot dog might be a little taller than that. It's they're for it to look like a hot dog that's upright, so it's a I don't know how a hot dog would really support itself that way, but we could do it with cans.
0: So. <laughs> All right, well, everybody should go take a look at that in the Merchandise Mart over the next uh, few weeks. And then the other thing that I wanted to ask you is just what's, architecturally, what's your favorite city to visit, to look at? Um, boy, that
1: I don't have a single favorite city. I have a lot of cities that, for different reasons. This is still a great architecture city. Chicago's a phenomenal place. I love New York because there's a, um, the scale of it is so dramatically different than anything else in the United States, and there's a lot of amazing new work that's been built besides the, the historic uh, buildings in, in New York City. But I love Rome. I love the craziness mm-hmm. um, and the kind of intertwined kind of Politics, religion, and kind of social circumstances that drove that city um, from from you know prehistory on. It's really a remarkable place. The overlap of all these things in that town that kind of drive the that city to drive the architecture and the planning of it is is really remarkable. And I just visited Paris last year for the first time, and and that that city really is stunning. So. A, certainly from a planning standpoint, it's remarkable.
0: Well, Andy, I think that uh, wraps up how long I'm going to keep you, keep you quarantined here. Uh, thanks for marching. Th- you can tell this is a Chicago-centric podcast because you get sirens, you get the sounds of the, the L going in the background. So hopefully that wasn't distracting. Thanks for pushing through that. Um, really appreciate your time. If anyone wants to learn more about OKW Architects, uh, please go to their website. If you Google it, it pops right up. Um, But Andy, just thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Phil.
2: Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest you are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Annis Tepper-Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guest's individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions, and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceedings.